I appreciate everyone's indulgences and tolerance in allowing me to be one of your volunteer preachers all these years. Um, it's quite the privilege. Um, good morning, I am Scott Oakman, as Pete said, um, and a member of the volunteer preaching team. My uh, lovely wife of 20, 37 years, yeah, 37 years, um, Anita and I have been part of this congregation for 27 and a half years, um, and she's working back there in the sound booth, and uh, so she can cut me off at will. Um, she's been my partner all this time. Uh, we live in Egan, and we have four children, uh, ages 30 down to 17, and we're getting perilously close to that empty nest phase in about uh, 10 months, two weeks, and one day, but nobody's counting. Um, I am a hospital psychiatrist at Regions Hospital, and I wear a number of other hats as a medical educator and administrator for Regions and Health Partners and Hennepin Healthcare. And uh, this is number two in our series of Jesus stories, which are specifically Jesus stories about money and finances, which was actually uh, his favorite topic, second favorite topic, other than the kingdom of God. And uh, last week, Pete led us through some stories from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, which had the theme of God as the ultimate owner of everything and the source of all generosity, which are there to remind us to offer ourselves and all that we have to Jesus. And I especially appreciated the reminder that we should not be stingy with people and claim that we are generous with God, and to not look for God's approval of our piety while we're ignoring the poor who are around us. God sees every act of our generosity, even the very smallest. And Pete ended with a tip to do something good for someone who has less than us. And I was just kind of wondering, you know, did you find an opportunity to do something good with your resources for someone who had less last week? Because I had a lovely opportunity to do something, and I'm going to get to tell you about it toward the end of this sermon. I want to continue on with these themes of using our resources for good with a story from Luke's gospel about a very unlovable person who encountered Jesus, a tax collector named Zacchaeus. But first, I want you to think about something, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Have you ever felt like an outcast? Have you ever been rejected or made fun of because of how you looked or talked? Were you bullied, shamed for your appearance? How did you cope with that? How did you respond? What effect did that have on you in later life, on your relationships with other people? on your relationship with God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for seeing us all the time. And we pray today that you would speak to us and that you'd enable us to respond to you. 
In your name we pray. Amen. About 50 years ago, this week actually, I moved into a new town at the age of 10 and a half. It was a month into a school year that had already started. And that would have been bad enough in itself, but just stay tuned. At our previous location, I'd been in a K through six elementary school. And the previous spring, they decided to promote me from fourth grade to sixth grade. Now, I was a 10-year-old, chubby-cheeked, baby-fat-padded, Iowa-twang-talking new kid, a sixth grader, coming into a grade six through eight middle school in a new town in Minnesota, not knowing anyone. I think that Lauren Olson, the kid next to me alphabetically in PE class, already had a full beard. I'm not kidding. I was really fortunate that the town library was right across the street because I needed a lot of books to get through those years. There was a lot of loneliness, isolation, and never really fitting in. And in a lot of situations, it would have meant a setup for a lifetime of bitterness, maybe addiction, depression, antisocial behavior, and we who, experienced, who have experienced these things know how these pressures distort our image of ourselves and affect how we get along with others for a lifetime. Now, I know I'm pushing the season a bit, but I'm in a choir now. And we've been practicing Christmas music since August, and only musical directors rush the season more than retailers do. So as a preview, coming up in December, the sermon series is going to be Christmas classics. And since I'm not preaching in that, and they sadly excluded my favorite Christmas classic, Muppet Christmas Carol, I'm going to use it here. Because I thought about this story of Zacchaeus and about my own story 50 years ago, and I imagine sometimes that I could have turned out like this guy. It chills you, chills you to the bone But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart Like years of being alone It paints you with indifference Like a lady paints with rouge And the worst of the worst The most hated and cursed Is the one that we call Scrooge Unkind as any And the wrath of many This is Ebenezer Scrooge Oh, there goes Mr. Humbug There goes Mr. Grimm if they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Old Scrooge, he loves his money cause he thinks it gives him power. If he became a flavor, you can bet he would be sour. Even the vegetables don't like him. Master of the underhanded deed. He charges folks a fortune for his dark and drafty houses. As poor
folk living misery. It's even worse for mouses. Please, sir, I want some cheese. He must be so lonely. He must be so sad. He goes to extremes to convince us he's bad. He's really a victim of fear and of pride. Look close and there must be a sweet man inside. Nah. I'll leave the rest for you to watch on Christmas Eve with me. Um, but what does this have to do with us? Well, God made us to live in intimacy and community with others. And when that's broken, it physically hurts us. And we find ways to soothe that pain. It might be alcohol. It might be narcotics. It might be unhealthy relationships. It could be obsessive hobbies, video games, novelty seeking, adrenaline rushes, and that ever popular panacea, retail therapy, buying happiness. What happened to Scrooge was that he filled the gap of lost love with the security of wealth and soon, the enjoyment of what money could do was replaced by the love of money itself, which led to ever-increasing isolation, fear, and rejection in his community. Jesus dealt with a lot of people like us, too. The unpopular, the cast-offs, and in his time, the people who had been cast off by respectable society, the popular, pious, beautiful, and healthy people, were forced to get by however they could through disreputable means. For some, it meant begging, like lepers, the disabled, and the blind. For others, it meant prostitution. But the worst of worst were the sellouts, the traitors, those who extorted excess taxes from their own people. And that's who we meet in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree by the side of the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. 
we don't know much about Zacchaeus, except that he was short, he was rich, and people didn't like him very much. I always picture him played by Danny DeVito. <laughs> he was a tax collector. And as I said, he wasn't just a government employee doing his job for the good of the community. He was a traitor to his people and to his national and religious identity. In an occupied territory, he was a collaborator with the enemy, tasked with getting the tributes that the Roman officials had to pass on to their superiors in Rome. And as long as Rome got what they demanded, he could take a bit more for his trouble, a reasonable commission, a markup. So why not make the most of it? Maybe a late fee, some service charges, a little extra to ensure special treatment from the governor. A nice market stall there, Jeremiah. Be ashamed if something happened to it. He was the chief for the region, too. Maybe there was a bit of a pyramid scheme going on. A little mob boss vibe, kickbacks, payoffs. He was pretty crooked. And people didn't like him. They crossed the street when they saw him coming. And so he didn't like them either. The Romans were the only people he had to please. And gradually he got more isolated, meaner, more alone, more hateful, and more hated. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of the phrase short man syndrome. It was once my misfortune as a medical student to rotate where a notoriously mean surgeon was practicing. He had a reputation for yelling at subordinates, belittling trainees, even throwing sharp objects across the room at people who made errors. My senior resident at the time just said, well, he's got short man syndrome, meaning that he had to be mean and threatening to make up for what he felt he lacked in others' eyes in terms of his stature. If others wouldn't respect him, he made sure they would fear him. But do you think anyone really wanted to work cases with him or even be around him? For Zacchaeus, money and Roman power had changed him from being small and weak and powerless to being able to exert a power and control over the people of Jericho that they couldn't do anything about. But it came at a cost. I don't imagine that he had people coming over for dinner very often at all, even though he could certainly afford it. But least of all, the famous traveling rabbi, Jesus. I don't know why, G why Zacchaeus was so eager to get a look at him that day that he would break risking a limb to climb up a tree. It might be that he had heard about a couple of things Jesus had said before, things that Luke records for us in the previous chapter, chapter 18. For example, he told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Had Zacchaeus heard, directly or indirectly, about this rabbi who had made a tax collector out as the good guy in his story? Maybe he'd also heard that Jesus had another ex-tax collector named Levi or Matthew, who was now actually traveling around with him as one of his closest followers. And then there was this even more puzzling story, another one of those religious leaders a guy with a perfect resume had asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Maybe these sayings were bugging him intellectually. Maybe he thought Zacchaeus was going to be bad for his business. Maybe he thought Jesus was going to be bad for his business. Maybe he was just curious and was looking for the next fad. Or maybe Zacchaeus had a real spiritual hunger. We do know this. Jesus sees him as he was in his workday, on his way to go shake down some more denarii for the Romans. Not specially dressed up, not holy, no special audience or reserved seating, no show of penitence, no groveling at his feet either, not begging for a favor, just a guy in a tree trying to get a closer look. And as near as we can tell, Jesus just walks by, looks up, and calls out, Hey, Zacchaeus! Let's do lunch. In fact, I'm inviting you, inviting myself over to your place now. Luke tells us that he quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. No hesitation or second thoughts, even when the community started pushing back. And when they get to his place, Jesus says two amazing things. First, Jesus calls him a true son of Abraham. He's saying, Zacchaeus, you are one of my people, the people of God. Remember, all the people considered that Zacchaeus was a traitor to his family, his nation, and his God. They had decided that he was without a doubt out of the promised people of God. And Jesus declares this man in because he, the Messiah, says of himself 
that the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. How was Zacchaeus lost and what had saved him? Zacchaeus was lost because he had become separated from God and God's community through his own responses to rejection by and from that community. Zacchaeus had a hand in this too. He's not innocent. None of us are. But we need to own our own responses to what happens to us. It probably did not happen all at once. It was a gradual, progressive turning away until it was just him and his hoard of cash and all the power that it conveyed to him. But what saves him is also a response. It is a response to the call of Jesus. Quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. And he quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. What comes after? The giving half his wealth, the promising restitution, is not about bringing him salvation, but it's about restoring him to community. It's about rebuilding trust. I found a quote from one commentary on this passage that I thought really summed this up nicely. In return to Jesus' openness to him, Zacchaeus makes the proper response. Having accepted Jesus' initiative, Zacchaeus becomes generous with his resources, even seeking to make restitution for past wrongs. He is a rich man who gets through the eye of the needle. In Zacchaeus, we see how giving restores community, builds community, and breaks the power of wealth to control and define us. Dare I say, giving heals us. Jesus didn't hate rich people. The New Testament contains examples like Barnabas, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Lydia, all believers who had resources and influence. Luke writes about a group of women among the disciples, naming Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who contributed from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Zacchaeus, in his response, becomes an example of the kind of person that Paul writes about in my favorite Bible verse about money, from 1 Timothy 6.17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Jesus knows that those of us who are fortunate enough to have earthly treasure and riches 
are also vulnerable, as Zacchaeus was, to its power to take over our lives. We can become defined by what we own and put our trust in those things and not in the God who richly gives them. And the way to break that power is to develop habits of giving and generosity. Now I know that those of you who have heard me preach here before are probably wondering, where is the Don Weber reference? Don is, a number, is another member of our preaching team. And he and I have been known to make a few generally well-natured jabs at one another in our sermons. <clears throat> what you may or may not know about Don is that he cares tremendously about investing in people. He and Cindy, years ago, sponsored a child with World Vision. And then another, and then another. And I don't know, I think they may own the whole village now. They've been married um, 26 years this week. Uh, as Cindy said, um, having a blended family is not for the faint of heart. I told her marrying Don is not for the faint of heart either. <laughs> um, Don also got interested in the needs of people in the developing world for safe water and started participating in charity runs to raise money for wells and villages where people had to walk miles every day for safe water. And then he did these crazy endurance desert runs, like, I don't know, 100,000 miles. It was nuts. And that wasn't enough. He actually then went and visited some of these places where his sacrifice of money and sweat was saving lives and met the people whose lives he had affected. I think of Don as an example of what we're trying to do here at River Heights in this campaign and always love God, love people, and change the world. How we use our giving to restore community and build community. Again, I really believe that giving can heal us because whether it's through our service, through the acts that we do for one another, or through the money that we give, our giving connects us to God's life for us and connects us to the people of God. For Zacchaeus, after his encounter with Jesus, his wealth was no longer his life, but it became his way to experience true life. It was a life that built toward the future, that was rich in good works and generous to those in need. And instead of isolating him from the community, his resources now connect him to the community. And you know it takes Scrooge a few years longer and some supernatural visits from some ghosts, but he gets the idea too. He's no longer an isolated orphan He's a member of a family again, and he's a patron of the orphanage 
his resources build relationships with the people that he's investing in. As it turned out, I was blessed with a supernatural visit of sorts as well. I became part of a Christian community that valued me and accepted me. By the time I got to high school, I found myself part of a Christian community that allowed me to participate, to serve others, and exercise my gifts for others. I found Jesus, and I found hope. Just a small epilogue. I happen to still follow that church, First United Methodist in Wyndham, Minnesota, on Facebook. I guess last Sunday was their youth Sunday, and their kids went out into the community. They posted some pictures, and it just made me think about how important that church was. I wanted to make sure that I got the one with the corn in the background, you know, because Southwest Minnesota. Um, so I went to their website on Monday when I saw these pictures. And I knew I was getting my uh, $487.45 from the state for being a uh, frontline worker, whatever it was. Um, you know, and I was uh, able to give a little bit of that to the youth and music programs of that church because literally that church saved my life. Introduced me to a real relationship with Jesus. So all of us, rich and poor, have gaping holes in our lives. Some of them are new, recent losses. Some of them are old, hardened scars. And we spend our lives trying to fill them with anything we can stuff in there to stop the aching for a little bit. Food, toys, alcohol, drugs, sex, sports, amusements, control over others. Grudges, vengeful plots. I can't tell you how many nights I stayed awake plotting the revenge I was going to take on those bullies in middle school. Just thank God I never got a chance to try. We judge others. We lie. We cheat. We steal and manipulate. But it's all nothing when we meet Jesus. He somehow cuts through all of our BS and he shows us our true self, and he says, hey, friend, let's do lunch. And what else can you do except climb down from your tree and start cooking? It's the time when we make our response to God through our worship and our prayer. Um, so I want to ask you to stand if you're able, as you're able, and uh, um, have the worship team come up and get ready. Um, uh, you may have some response to some of this, um, and you'd like to pray with somebody. We'll have some prayer team folks on the side. Maybe you guys from the prayer team can make your way forward to um, these are trained people who um, like praying with people and uh, will be kind and friendly to you um, on either side. And uh, um, 
and then um, the worship team will lead us for a bit, and then they will dismiss us when we're done. We'll have a couple of, um, every week we end the service with a few tips, um, something to read, something to pray, and something to do. For reading, I, I think we would all benefit just from taking another look at Luke 18 and 19. There's more widows, more Pharisees, more tax collectors, and more money, and um, just a lot of good stuff to read there. Look at all the different ways that people respond to Jesus there. It's pretty cool. And then um, pray that Jesus' love would fill your gaps and restore you. Um, if some of you really need some deeper work on those gaps, think about um, uh, looking into Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights here at church. It's a ministry. <laughs> Vanessa would love to talk to you about that um, and uh, um, get to know uh, just some deeper ways of, of knowing Jesus' love through that. Um, and then do respond quickly to what Jesus is showing you to do, whether that's uh, giving uh, or serving um, in a new way. Um, uh, just do, when, when Jesus calls, respond. Come down out of your tree and start cooking lunch. Thanks a lot.